Chapter 7. Raise Up Leaders I will never forget the first time I got into the driver's seat of a car. I had just turned 15, old enough to operate heavy machinery at high speeds, but probably not old enough to be trusted with said heavy machinery. To me, this was the beginning of my ascent into adulthood. It's hard to feel like you've made it when mom is still dropping you off to hang out with your friends. This was my chance to make something of myself, a chance to show the world that I was a force to be reckoned with. The day came when my dad was going to teach me how to drive. In order to get a permit in the state of Florida, all you had to do was pass a driving exam. But being the good parent he is, there was no way I was driving a car without some training. I needed to earn my dad's seal of approval. As we walked out to the car and hopped in, my dad started walking me through what to do. At least, that's what he tried to do before I interrupted him. Now, son, make sure to put on your seatbelt. Dad, you, you don't have to tell me what to do. I've been watching you drive for 15 years. I'm pretty sure I know how to drive a car. Bold words from a 15-year-old kid with visions of freedom and independence dancing in his head. This statement seems like the fastest way to cut past all the unnecessary dad-splaining so I could demonstrate my driving expertise and check the driver's ed box. I had played Cruise in USA at the ice rink more times than I could count and usually only crashed into the wall a handful of times per race. Who needs a brake pedal anyways? As far as I was concerned, I was already a seasoned driver. Okay, son, then back us up out of the driveway. At last, Dad was willing to treat me like the adult I was. I put on my seatbelt, put the keys in the ignition, started the engine, and put the car into gear. Much to my surprise, as I lifted my foot off the brake to back out of the driveway, the car started moving forward, straight towards the currently closed garage door. I reacted quickly, remember, video games, and stopped the car just short of running into the house. Not the best start. My dad had a couple of different responses at his disposal. Would he reprimand me for being arrogant? Would he chastise me for not putting the car in reverse? Would he kick me out of the driver's seat entirely until some future opportunity down the road? How he chose to address my stubbornness and lack of experience would either help me or hinder me. So he chose his next words, carefully. Passing the torch. Whether you figured it out yet or not, at some point you will no longer be leading your small group. You will have to hand over the keys to the car and trust someone else to drive it, to take care of the people you've poured your heart and soul into. When that happens, you don't want them to crash into the house from inexperience. If you want to avoid this spiritual catastrophe, you have to learn how to raise up leaders. When you're able to raise up leaders in your small group, people that can do what you do, you get to share the load of leading. It's not all going to be on you anymore. Those other men and women will bring their skills and their hearts into the fight and make the burden of leadership that much easier for everyone involved. The entire group is not resting on your shoulders anymore because now you have partners that are just as invested in the group's success as you are. As people begin to step up and lead, it will inspire everyone else in the group as well. They will see that it's not just you that gets to lead and impact the group.
Every person has the capacity to make a difference, and seeing other people step up and lead will encourage and inspire them to be more invested in your small group. When you learn how to implement the process we cover in this chapter, not only will you be able to raise up new leaders, but those you train will be able to do the same. The efforts you make today will multiply exponentially for years and decades to come. Getting close to your protege. Once you identify who you're going to train, and once they sign on as well, it's important that you develop the kind of relationship we covered in the previous chapter. Training leaders is about more than transferring information. It's about sharing your life, your experience, and your heart as well. It's within the safety and trust of an intimate, authentic friendship that you will be able to hone your protege into a small group leading extraordinaire. Get really close, as close as you possibly can. Why is this important? Because effective training is uncomfortable. Look at this insight God gives us in the book of Proverbs. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Proverbs 27 verse 17. Picture two pieces of metal grating against each other. Imagine the sound they make as they squeal and protest from the friction that results. Does that seem like a pleasant experience to you? It sure doesn't to me. Anytime you are training someone, sharpening someone, there will be sparks. There will be conflict. Establishing a foundation of trust is essential if you want your training to stick, if you want them to actually grow. All training requires effort and sacrifice. Your protege needs to feel comfortable letting you smooth out their rough edges so they can become the effective small group leader you know they're capable of being. The Jesus Leadership Plan Jesus is the OSGL, Original Small Group Leader. It is in the Gospels that we see the most effective leadership training model in the history of mankind. So Jesus is naturally going to be our instructor for the rest of this chapter. As you read through each account of Jesus' life, whether that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you will notice a similar training path that Jesus takes his apostles on. We are going to emulate that progression for our training purposes. Step one, be a model. Once the apostles committed to following Jesus, the first thing he did was give them something to model. In other words, he showed them what to do. When you read through the book of Mark, Notice how many times Jesus does something noteworthy without asking any of his apostles to do anything. Their job is just to watch him do his thing. In Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, Jesus drives out a demon. In Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, Jesus heals the sick. In Mark 1, verse 39, Jesus preaches in the synagogues and casts out demons. In Mark 1, verses 40 through 45, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. In Mark 2, verses 1 through 12, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. In Mark 2, verses 18 through 28, Jesus admonishes the Pharisees. In Mark 3, verses 1 through 6, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. In Mark 1, verses 1 through 34, Jesus teaches the people using parables. In Mark 5, verses 1 through 20, Jesus heals a man with a demon. And in Mark 5, verses 21 through 43, Jesus heals a sick woman and raises a girl from the dead. 
Now, at this point, we are almost a third of the way through the book of Mark, and his apostles have not done anything. But Jesus didn't need or want them to. First, Jesus needed to model for his apostles what he wanted them to be able to do in the future. He was planting seeds of confidence and familiarity that would come to fruition later on. The first step of training your new leader is to explain everything to them. This may seem fairly straightforward and a bit obvious, but it's not something that most leaders do. I know how to do all this stuff. They should be able to figure it out. Those are the last words that should ever come out of your mouth, especially in light of Jesus' example. Whenever you put together a lesson, whenever you plan an event, whenever you have to deal with a difficult situation, you'll want to include your protege. This can be difficult when you're discussing sensitive issues with individual members of your small group, but do your best to recount those interactions in an instructive way. As you start to bring them along, make sure to focus on the why behind everything. Why do you lead your discussions that way? Why do you ask specific people to bring meat for the potluck? Hint, you can only enjoy so many varieties of cookies and green bean casserole. Why do you show up 15 minutes early every week? Walk them through your reason for doing all the things you do. That way, they can trace those steps in their mind and understand why you make the decisions you do. If any of this sounds familiar, it's because it's the same tactic we discussed in chapter 4 in the discussion template. After you've explained whatever it is you're trying to teach them, ask them to repeat it to you in their own words. Too often, leaders mistakenly believe that because they said something one time, it has been perfectly remembered by their protege. That is almost never the case. More than likely, the person you're training heard what you said, passed it through a filter based on their own experiences, and logged it away as a slightly mutated version of what you originally said. Having them explain it back to you ensures that the lesson you wanted to convey did indeed get communicated, and it helps them retain the information more effectively as well. Step 2. Achievable Goals The second step of Jesus' leadership training model was to give the apostles achievable goals. This is critical to your new leader's self-confidence. Let's see how Jesus does this in Mark 6. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Mark 6 verses 7 through 13. As you read through this passage, a couple things should jump out. First, Jesus gave the apostles very specific instructions. There was no guesswork needed on the part of the apostles because their directions were clear. Go and do this and do it this way. The apostles knew what Jesus expected them to do. As you provide your protege with opportunities to lead, you want to give them specific tasks with specific instructions. Don't just ask them to lead a discussion. 
ask them to prepare a discussion on a particular parable and report back to you for feedback after they put their lesson together. Don't just ask them to plan an event. Tell them what they need to do in order to put the event together and do it alongside them to answer any questions that come up. Jesus made sure to give the apostles easy wins. Easy here, of course, being a relative term. He didn't ask them to go save the world. Just go with a buddy and tell people the good news. The apostles do not have the skills or the experience that Jesus does, so he starts them off with something simple, something that will build their confidence and help them feel great about moving on to the next step in the process. Give your protege easy wins so that they feel good about their progress and about where they are in the process. Growth is the goal, not for them to be as good as you right off the bat. Easy wins help them continue to move forward. One final note before we continue. When Jesus sent out the apostles, the task he gave them to do was something they had seen him do multiple times. Before you ask your protege to take on a responsibility, make sure you've already shown them how to do it. Don't hang them out to dry. Set them up for success. Step three, give them responsibility. After Jesus showed his followers what he wanted them to do, and after he gave them achievable goals, Jesus gave them responsibility. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, verse 19. Jesus knew that his time was coming. He'd spent several years training and equipping his apostles to carry on his ministry after he ascended to heaven. And the time was fast approaching when it would be the apostles leading the church in his place. Jesus was willing to hand over the keys to his father's kingdom to the dozen unschooled, ordinary men who had been following him. As a leader in his church, you need to be willing to do the same with your small group. After you've spent some time showing your protege the ropes and have given them achievable goals to build their confidence, it's time to start giving them real responsibilities. Allow them to shine by taking ownership of certain parts of your small group. Let them gradually take more and more of the leadership pie. You might start off by having them lead the discussion every other week and alternate with you. Then you may have them start hosting the small group or planning your gatherings. Let out the proverbial leash bit by bit until they're comfortably able to lead the group all on their own. When they have made the shift and have assumed all of their responsibilities you once had as the leader, continue to work with them as their advisor, but in a more hands-off approach. Be a resource for them when they have questions or as a sounding board to bounce ideas off of, but allow them to call the shots for the group. Making this transition will allow you to use the leadership talents God has given you and apply them in new and exciting ways. That's not to say that leading a small group isn't exciting. It certainly is. But it is to say that leadership is a rare commodity. Great leaders are in short supply. So don't rest on your laurels. Ask God to reveal where he wants you to serve next and pursue whatever God puts on your heart. It may be more appropriate to send off your protege to start a small group of their own. Whatever the case, be mindful of the needs in your church and make sure to spread the leadership wealth where it can do the most good. Leadership happens in seasons. Rarely does someone stay in the same role for a really long time, and that's okay. The sands are always shifting, 
as the Holy Spirit works in our lives as disciples. Allow God to direct your steps towards whatever He has in store for you next. Doing new things is the only way we can continue to grow and not become complacent. Lead with patient instruction. Looking back, I'm amazed at my dad's reaction to almost destroying his garage door with the car. He didn't overreact, and he didn't lose his patience. Instead, he lovingly and graciously helped me see my mistake and let me put the car in reverse. He could have crushed my spirits, destroyed my confidence, and dashed my enthusiasm. Instead, he turned it into a learning opportunity and helped me to see the value in learning to drive from someone who'd been doing it for a long time in real life, you know, as opposed to cruising USA. As you work with your protege and pour yourself into them, never forget the value of patience. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone falls short. It is up to you to lead them through those mistakes and come out on the other side more competent than when they began. Share your life, share your knowledge, share your wisdom, and lead them the way Jesus led his apostles, with patience and careful instruction.